source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 1 verses 57 through 80. If you'd like to follow along in the blue Bible in the pews, It is on page 856. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No. He shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs for his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant, that, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, as we come to consider your word, we need your grace. We need your grace to hear. We need your grace to pay attention. We need your grace to speak. We need your grace, Lord, that we would not ignore this word. We need your grace to believe it. We need your grace to have hope in it. 
We need your grace, Lord, to give ourselves gladly into your hands, into your will, to serve you, to hunger after you, to adore you. We need your grace, Lord, to make you known, to make you the center and purpose of our whole life in everything that we do and all of our responsibilities and relationships. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would come to us and visit us from on high, even as Zechariah proclaimed here. Oh, Lord, come and refresh us, plant us in, the, in your grace, for we ask it in the precious name of Christ. Amen. If you've seen the movie Close Encounters of a Third Kind, you remember at the beginning of this movie, you catch little pictures of the aliens appearing to people on earth. And this chapter kind of reads that way. Uh, we, we find this old couple, Zechariah, at the beginning of the chapter, this old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in later years, unable to have ever had children. And he's ministering in the temple and suddenly an angel appears to him, tells him he's going to have this child and, and the child is going to be great in Israel. And so you're sitting there saying, wow, that's amazing. And then suddenly he, he doesn't believe and he's struck dumb. He can't speak, Zechariah. And so you want to know, well, what happened? What happened? No, 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 no. Look, let me tell you something else that happened. Here's this girl, Mary, and, and an angel appears to her. This same angel Gabriel appears to her that appeared to Zechariah. Yeah, yeah. And, and he tells her that she's going to have a child. And this child's even going to be greater. He, he's going to be the king and his kingdom's going to never end. And you know what else? She wasn't even married and she'd never even known a man. Get down. You know, he's like, what? What happened next? What? Well, then Mary finds out that her Elizabeth, the first lady I told you about, that's her relative. Oh, really? And so she goes and meets her. And, and when she walks in to see her, to, Mary walks in to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months later, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb just jumps, leaps, as an indication that the one that Mary is carrying is the great king. And Elizabeth burst out in song, and Mary burst out in song. And you're like, well, well, well what about Zechariah? Okay, let's get back to Zechariah. Okay, and that's where we are now. Back to Zechariah. So all this time, these glorious things have happened. The appearing of an angel again, two different times to two different women announcing the birth of these magnificent children. One apparently serving the future of the other one. As even indicates, he indicates here that, that John, the first child, is going to announce the coming of the second child, Jesus. And so at the circumcision of, of John, uh, his name is given. And, and finally, John, who now so fully believes and, and indicates that he bursts forth in the praise that is known now as the benedictus. That's the Latin for that word, blessed. Now, so many things to be said, but we've got just a few minutes in which to say them. And I want to focus in this passage, in his his great prophecy, this Benedictus, in what God does for his people and what that must mean about our need. For instance, in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. We need 
redemption. That's one thing that the birth of Christ tells us. We need redemption. This means that in some sense, we are imprisoned. We are guilty. It means many things to be redeemed, but it means that we have an awful debt that we cannot pay. It indicates helplessness. It even indicates being oppressed. In our environment, in our modern day, it would mean that you're being held hostage, wouldn't it? And that a ransom must be paid. It means that we're in a situation in which a debt must be paid. We must have a powerful rescue from our enemies. Redemption is a word that that speaks of our own weakness and helplessness. But you see, also, verse 69, it shows again our weakness because it says, He raised up a horn of salvation. Uh, The horn is the indication of power or strength. And so, a powerful rescue has been raised up for us. We see again, this is pointing to a desperate situation that we must be in for there to be this powerful rescue. The bondage that we have, it speaks of our enemies being saved from our enemies, the hand of those who hate us, verse 71, verse 74, the hand of our enemies. And now this would have a certain political and social reference uh, with the Jews, but there's much something much deeper, something much more central involved in terms of being rescued from our enemies. Because a person can be free even in political bondage. He can be spiritually and mentally, emotionally free even if he is put to death. And that's what this passage is centrally talking about, is the freedom centrally that we have in Jesus Christ. And then ultimately and finally, there will be complete freedom politically, complete freedom socially, complete freedom even in our earthly environment. But the initial critical thing is the relationship that we have with God, the bondage that we have because we are alienated from God. We don't even realize our weaknesses and our bondage. We don't even realize the many ways in which we are imprisoned. All of our prejudices that we have, even the way we think about life, the things that we've inherited sometimes from even the way we were raised, our own ideas about life, about relationships, or about anything, our own ideas about God Himself, so many of our own perspectives, the way we interpret situations and people and circumstances, our very attitudes, our very motives, we don't even realize the many ways that we're in bondage, that we don't think like God, and we don't act like God. And you know, the intensity of creation's brokenness, the disease, the disaster, the terrible accidents. And we're not even talking about what people do to each other. We're just talking about how creation has so many tragedies involved in it. It's a measure of our own refusal of God. Because we were the crown of creation. And when we the crown was shattered and the crown turned away from God, all of creation reflects that brokenness. It's a measure of just how independent each of us by nature wants to be. 
How little, by nature, we as human beings even care about what God has said. How little we read and study and memorize His Word. How little we even long for His Word and delight in His Word. It's a measure of how little our bondage, how little we pray, how little we really trust Him, how little we really unburden our hearts to Him and find comfort and relief in Him, how little human beings admire and adore Him, how little we're really amazed at Him, how little we're really overjoyed at Him, how little we really follow His will or live for His purposes in every area of our lives, how little we have as our purpose to reflect Him in everything we do and to make Him known in every way we can. You see, our bondage is off the charts. Our bondage to self. Our bondage is shown, our weakness and and our imprisonment is shown in how we want to make up of God of our own liking. A God of our own imagination. A God we can be comfortable with. A God who will let us live our own lives and check in every once in a while where we're in trouble. That's the kind of God we would like. We like a God who really doesn't care if we ignore Him. He doesn't really care if we don't love Him. He really doesn't care if we obey Him that much. He doesn't care if we're prejudiced towards certain groups of people. He doesn't care if we ignore the crying needs of people all around us. He doesn't care if we're set in our ways, even if our ways are opposed to His expressed will and His word. That's the kind of God we like to make up. That's a part of our bondage, a part of what we need to be redeemed from, a part of why we need a powerful Savior to rescue us from even the way we think about life. But to deal with the God who is, the God, the real God of fierce, undying love, this God who wants to marry us and bless us forever and to have our exclusive love, as wonderful as that is, amazingly, we really don't want that. We don't see him in that way. Imagine somebody sitting there eating. You know, I I could almost eat everything growing up. And, and I especially now can eat most everything. But, but beef liver is just not my favorite thing. Um, so imagine this person sitting here with a meal, and he's eating rancid beef liver. And, and you look at his potatoes, and they look kind of green because they're really old. And he just dug them out of the refrigerator, and he's eating them even though they've been there for three months. And they're cold, and then he's got these peas that have something blue on them, and he's eating this stuff. And, and you're bringing to him this piping hot steak that just melts. You can cut it with the fork. It's the whole meal, all the trimmings, the dessert, the, everything is wonderful. And you're offering it to him, and he's just pulling further and further away from you. And he's hoarding his little rancid beef liver, and he won't even look at what you've got to offer him. And the aroma is there, it smells good, but he doesn't smell it. it. It's tantalizing, but it doesn't tantalize him. It's tasty, but he won't taste it and it doesn't look good to him. You see, that's part of our bondage, is the God of all grace and goodness comes to us, offers himself to us, 
and yet we refuse him. We're spiritually insane, Scripture says. We've lost our minds, Scripture says. We want our earthly idols or our spiritual idols. Here's the thing. We treasure all kinds of things. We treasure travel or movies or TV or cell phones or video games, a nice house, nice things to go in it. We treasure cars or sports or music or sex or, or books. We treasure popularity, we treasure a good job, we treasure promotions, more money and benefits. We treasure a good garden, a pretty yard, we treasure good grades. We, we treasure security and comfort and safety. We treasure cleanliness. We treasure organization and order and schedules. We treasure the way things always have been. Or we treasure something always new. We treasure family and friends and get-togethers and parties and celebrations. We treasure Christmas. And all these things are good gifts from God. But we treasure these things instead of treasuring God. We don't treasure God by nature. We treasure these things while we ignore the God who gave them to us. We rarely give him a thought by nature. But by his grace, you see, he rescues us from our bondage, our spiritual bondage that we don't treasure him and love him and see him for what he is. And he is a, a mighty savior. He raises up a horn of salvation, a powerful one who knows how to deliver us, who knows how to win our hearts out of our idols. <laughs> you know, we are rightly so. We acknowledge people that sacrifice for others, don't we? Rightly so. We give medals for wartime when Soldiers have sacrificed their lives for other soldiers. We give medals. Sometimes posthumously we give medals to men who have died on the battlefield because they gave their lives for other people. We admire that. We were drawn to people who sacrificed. We're amazed and honor a mother who in a fire will sacrifice her own hands perhaps. Her hands are permanently uh, disfigured because of the sacrifice of saving her own child. And Jesus spoke of this in John 15. He says, greater love is no man than he lays down his life for his friend. Well, Paul takes it a step further in Romans 5 and he says, you know, maybe every once in a while a man will give his life for someone good. He said, God shows his love demonstrates his love in that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. You see, that, that gets back to this idea of redemption in verse 68. He redeems his people. He pays the price for his people. He stands in his people's place to bear their punishment. And in so doing, he reveals the extent of his love, the amazing love that would win us away from our idols, that would turn our heads away from our rancid uh, liver and look over 
and finally have eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of the love of God and the foolishness of not giving our lives into the hands of this God who would give His Son to die for us. The foolishness of not embracing His will and learning who He is in the Word of God and searching Him out and hungering for Him. He is what you're made for. He is what will satisfy our lives. He and no other. And that's why the Lord, it says, to show mercy to us in verse 72. He knows that we are miserable apart from Him. All the hurt that you experience in relationships, either that you give or is given to you, is because you or someone else is not like God. Everything that happens to you relationally that's painful... It's because you or someone else is not like God and doesn't love like God. Either you haven't loved like God or you haven't been loved like one would be loved by God. All the relational pain from arguments to resentments to tears, loneliness to crimes and war, all of it is because we are not like Him. But it says He shows mercy. He has kindness upon us. He sees our misery and He wants to bring us out of that misery. He is faithful to us even though we have not been faithful to Him. And all the talk in this passage about covenant and promises and remembering Abraham and David, it's all about how He commits Himself to us. He commits Himself and marries Himself to you for your good. He sees all the misery and pain of your life and He wants to ultimately bring all, take all of that away in the final resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth. All pain will be removed. That's what He wants to do for you. Can you imagine the perfect husband? Now that's an oxymoron. You know, those two things don't go to go away. Perfect and husband. And all God's women said... Amen. Okay. Um, But imagine the perfect husband who promises you everything and he not only fulfills those promises or children imagine your parents promising you something every weekend and they not only make good on the promise, they do better than you could have imagined in their promise. That's what God does. He promises you the world and it goes beyond anything you could have imagined. Because of the infinite passion he has to do you good. And all of this is indicated in the very gift of his own son. And I love this phrase where he says that we might serve him, verse 74, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What a glorious thing. This word is interesting. You know the word asymmetric, which means not symmetrical, or atypical, it's not typical. Well, the word with which you get phobia, he's got a lot of phobias. That word's right here, but the word means aphobos, ah, not fearful. And that's the ultimate goal of his salvation, that you live without fear. You live without fear of judgment. You live without fear of God's rejection. You live without fear of what happens to you every day because you are so convinced of the goodness of God to you in Christ 
And that every part of your life, no matter what is happening, God's going to use it for good in your life. And those who have no fears end up being fearless. Fearless. Fearless in their love of God. Fearless in their love of others. This is what God desires to do for us. To bring into our lives this great benediction so that most of our life, all of our life, can be filled more and more with this blessedness of God. To be filled, to be admiring Him, to be filled with this joy of giving ourselves up to Him. And so, having this joy, having this knowledge of this God who has given His Son for you, and to entrust your life to this Son... And to know that joy now and forever, that's the heart of what is being said here with Zechariah. To live with the fresh thrill of that benediction in your life every day. That's the glory of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. I say to the kids in high school, and I can't use this illustration this year because I'm going to use it right now, but... And some of the parents and uh, some of you who've been with your older brothers or some of you back from college have heard some of this illustration. But um, the, the illustration is this, that if you dip your life, you, if you, 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 it's like you have this bucket of desire to try to get something out of life. And if, when you dip your bucket into life and pull it up, with, apart from God, your bucket is like a bucket with holes and, and all of meaning and life and purpose in relationships or anything else eventually just spills out of it. But in the context of the relationship with God for which you've been made, you put that bucket into a larger bucket called a relationship with God and then life holds water. The writer in Ecclesiastes at the end talks about Serving and fearing God before you get too old, actually. He's speaking to kids. And I get the the illustration I use here is like a a man who's finally decided, he's 92 years old and he's finally decided to take up golf. So he gets out on the golf course and it's a little bit hard with his walker to get over to where the tee is, okay? And his hands are shaking because he's got Parkinson's and His hands are like this, and of course he can't see the ball because he's half blind. And he's got oxygen, and so he's already tired by just trying to get from the cart over there. You think, you missed it. You're not going to hit the ball. You can't play golf. And the idea for the writer in Ecclesiastes is, don't miss a day of your life given up to God. If you're 7, if you're 8, if you're 16, if you're 21, don't miss another day of living in relationship to this God. And brothers and sisters, the gift of Jesus Christ means that you and I must joyfully embrace this gift of God and give our lives into His salvation and realize our own bondage and say, Lord, free me, free me so that my heart will leap after you, will run after you, will embrace you and adore you. Give me grace so that I 
can sing this benediction the whole of my life. Let us pray. O Lord, as Zechariah says that the dawn has risen, has come into our darkness, O Lord, we pray that your dawn, the light of your presence, the light of hope, the light of purity and love, the light of understanding, the light of true safety and protection and comfort forever and ever, the light which will finally change the very world that we live in. Oh, Lord, give us this light. Enable us to embrace this light. Enable us to trust this one with all of our hearts. And Lord, we thank you that now we can have this relationship, the most critical part of our whole lives, no matter what happens to us physically, no matter what, how long our lives are, or what our economic situation in this world will be, whatever happens between countries, that we have a relationship with God. And Lord, finally, that will, that will, it will issue in the very world itself being transformed for those who know this God. Lord, we pray, give us grace that we will embrace your love as it is offered to us in Jesus Christ, the one who died in the place of sinners. Lord, enable us to trust him that he will take away our sins, that we can be forgiven, that we can be accepted before your throne and live in fellowship with you forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love.